you all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. So I like being right. Um, everyone does. But in this case, I think I would have been okay with not calling uh, the fact that the Huskies really had to make this their type of game and not Stanford's type of game. And very quickly in, uh, in Saturday's showdown, we didn't have the keys anymore. We were, we were in the backseat and our, our uncle was, was kind of drunk and driving way too fast down the highway. And it was out of control pretty quick. Yeah, this was uh, this was really unfortunate. Obviously, um, Stanford is not a good team, and as we know, David Shaw likes to control the game and the the tempo, and he had his way in that regard all night on Saturday. Yeah, I think that the, the like you know Stanford is this is not a good Stanford team. Uh, it's a road win in the conference or a road game in the conference against a very very good coach. Um, and Davis Mills, despite having a, a neck that is simply just prehistoric in length, I think is the only like the only way I could describe it, um, uh, was very competent, and he was put in a really good position to win because of that good coaching. So I don't know. It's it's not like we lost to the Citadel, but we did not. We we had, this was a great chance to beat Stanford there, sixteen and a half point favorites. Um, and obviously that dog's, uh, the margin there was 26 in the other direction, losing by 10. Um, so when it's this bad and there's this much ugly stuff to talk about, um, normally we do our downs, you know, we have a nice structure for this win or lose, uh, but it's just so ugly and there's so much to get to that, that, uh, we've decided F downs, uh, and this is basically, hell with it. <laughs> yeah, this is like uh, when the science teacher isn't paying attention to the to the deviant group in the dissection lab, um, and they look over and say, "Oh my God, what are you doing to the frog?" Because we are <laughs> we we are taking the scalpel and going all the way in, uh, dissecting the offense and defense, and we're leaving special teams alone because Peyton Henry uh, has a shot at the Heisman, I think by now, just bit by yeah. by stats alone. Uh, Offense. Very least, the Lou Groza is locked up at this point. So. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Um, so let's hit it. Offense. What's uh, what ails you about about this this Husky team? Uh, where where to begin? <laughs> Pick anywhere. Uh, well, I kind of segmented things out uh, when I was laying out my thoughts about both the offense and the defense. I segmented it out by uh, position group. Um, I have some overall thoughts to start out with, though, um, and I sound like a broken record here because we've talked about this so many times over the years, but red zone inefficiency. Mm-hmm. We are down to 52% of our red zone trips converting into touchdowns, which is actually worse than last year. This was the main issue we talked about coming into the season, and we're actually going backwards so first of all we have that issue to address secondly there is the elephant in the room which is play calling and just the overall management of the offense which is led by none other than bush hamden um my high level thoughts on that as great of a offensive mind bush hamden may be um at least what peterson says there it's it feels like he's almost overthinking things uh, he's too conservative when we need to be aggressive, and he's too aggressive when we need to be conservative. Um, things like giving Samad Ahmed only six touches this past weekend after he ripped off 150 the week before, that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, being down at halftime and losing our 10th straight game uh, while losing at halftime, no offensive adjustments were pretty much made at least it didn't seem like it um it's just really frustrating because there's too much talent on this side of the ball to be um you know run over into the mud by a stanford team that really doesn't have that great of a defense i mean they do have a um a debo in the secondary who's an all-conference type defensive back but other than that 
there isn't really that much to write home about, and they just had our way with us this Saturday. Let me ask you this. Uh, who are the Huskies' uh, five best players on offense? Not named, not named Jacob Eason, so, so skill position players. Uh, Aaron Fuller, Savan Ahmed, uh, Richard Newton, Hunter Bryant, and maybe Kate Otten. Okay. So those last two guys, uh, three touches. Uh, Savan yep. Ahmed, seven touches. Uh, Richard Newton, okay. ten, ten touches, cut short by an injury. Get well, Dick. Um, need to have a healthy Dick. Everyone knows that. Uh, and then Aaron Fuller, nine catches for, for on 17 targets. So when you take the totality of that and you say, okay, that's nine and, and 10 to, to Newton and, and Fuller there, that's, that's a pretty good number. But just the kind of the fun, the, 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 when it's not working, you have to go back to basics and say, what do we have that this team doesn't want any business guarding? Uh, and, those last two guys, especially Kate Otten and Hunter Bryant. Um, let's see here. I have it as Kate Otten's last target coming with eight minutes and 50 seconds left in the, you want to guess what quarter? First quarter. Second quarter. So not as bad. Uh, second quarter. So no touches in the second half for Kate Otten, who for all intents and purposes looks like a guy who uh, is an NFL tight end, uh, if not a, a first or second round pick in the NFL, just with his size, blocking ability. Um, and receiving chops, Hunter Bryant, um, not his, not a perfect game from him for a lot of reasons, but still a guy who, like we said before, was one of the few guys who looked like he belonged in the same field as the Ohio State guys in the Rose Bowl. His last target came with a minute and forty-eight seconds left to go in the second quarter. So your two best or two biggest and, and you know mismatch guys and guys that are on the field a lot, mm-hmm. Hunter Bryant and Kate Otten. No touches in the second half as that game was getting away from you. You have to have just stuff that's bread and butter. You can run it in your sleep, get it to those guys, get it in space, move the chains, and you just could not do that um, in the second half, which is which is really unfortunate. Um, it, it, it all of this is so scattered. I, th- I think just starting back at the top with Fuller. Fuller is kind of the uh, the the guilty by just being at the crime scene and, and like sticking around for the yep. whole thing instead of running like everyone else did nine catches on 17 targets. Like I said, 171 yards, his, his most productive day as a Husky from a yardage perspective, a um, couple of drops, including a crucial one late. Um, but I think the problem with Fuller is that he is playing a top banana role and he's a second banana guy. Um, and, and that's just kind of no fault of his own, but everyone else other than Aaron Fuller, five catches on 13 targets, for 34 yards. If you threw it to Aaron Fuller, it was a 10-yard gain. If you threw it to anyone else, it was a two-and-a-half-yard gain. And that was well, kind of the consensus from a lot of the coverages. I think Mike Varell had it as the passing game is broken. Aaron Fuller's jersey was, was you know, tattered and green and, and had been dusted up. Everyone else's was, was just spotless white because they just weren't involved in the passing game at all. And I, I think we're going to jump into the wide receiver discussion, right? right now but that fuller stat line of 17 targets for nine catches that's not necessarily that great i mean yeah 171 yards is nice but only being able to convert first of all nine of 17 times you're targeted second of all you're being targeted 17 times which which shouldn't be the case because you have other weapons that you can spread those targets across Mm -hmm. and i'm not even talking about the tight ends that we talked about just a second ago. I'm talking about actual wide receivers. There's 12 scholarship wide receivers on this team, and you only were able to complete passes to three of them, if I'm not mistaken. Terrell Bynum had one for, I think, eight yards or nine yards, and then uh, Andre Pacelli had one for one yard. Um, where are the other receivers? Where are, where is Puka Nakua? Why are we burning his red shirt yet only targeting him once all season? Why is he being used as a blocker? He came in here as a true freshman, highly regarded as a pass-catching wide receiver out of Utah. Um, where's Chico McClasher? He's recorded one catch in, in the last three games. He only has nine t- touches in the last five games outside of the first game of the season. Uh, where he was involved, he hasn't been included in the run or passing game at all, really. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Then you have the oddities with Marquis Spiker and Austin Osborne, two players highly regarded. Redshirt freshmen now, you thought they would start contributing, and they haven't. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, you got to perform in practice. But at the end of the day, I, f- I just I don't know how you can move forward with only one wide receiver option, really. They're only giving Fuller a chance, I feel like. Yeah, and so the, the this has been a, a topic of much consternation over the last couple of weeks. It seems to have been brewing, but it really came to a head, obviously, in the results of the Stanford game. And the, the clapback has been from, from Chris Peterson, the coaching staff, that these guys that you mentioned, Osborne, Nakua, uh, and Spiker specifically, um, just aren't practicing well enough and at the, the commensurate rate to um, to warrant playing time. And for I, I, I find validity in that. I, there's no reason for Peterson to just straight up lie about that and say, uh, well, I mean, the, the, the only way, reason that that would be a lie is if it's like, actually, hey, I hate those guys. <laughs> and I, I just, I really, <laughs> I really, really like Andre Pacellia and, and Terrell Bynum. Uh, and I want to keep those guys out there instead. Um, I, I, we don't see practice. I can totally buy that and everything has to be earned. And that's a big part of this, this Chris Peterson thing. Um, and his ethos has gotten us to this point. So I don't really have too much of a concern there, but I think Nakua is the one that, that doesn't, like you said, doesn't make sense. And I think that the coaching staff has conceded as much, um, just in what they've been saying that even Peterson was like the other guys, you know, we got to get Nakua in, but you guys aren't in practice. So Nakua is the one. Uh, that I think it's it's just time, even for nothing. Nothing. It's just like you gotta, you know, shake up the snow globe a little bit um, and give the defense something to look at. And you know, the pretty high efficiency of his one target ended up in a twenty-eight yard touchdown against Hawaii. Um, so I mean, why not? I don't know what he's what he's done since then. Uh, he just hasn't been given a chance, and that's part of the issue here. So I'm I'm okay with the general thought of. Uh, practice is is important and these guys have to earn it because like I said, this is what's got him to this point as a coach um, and we don't know what's going on in practice but Nakua I think is a concession that everybody can be on board with because the talent's there, the uh, in-game production has been there um, and, and all the reasons that we just mentioned. Still, you have Pacelli and Chico who have combined for four catches over the last you know, two or three weeks. So yeah. Um, yeah. And those are players that we know, you know, can produce at this level. And I assume are practicing to a standard that is mm-hmm. enough to merit targets. Um, so those ones still uh, kind of confuse me. Yeah. And so the, the, there's a difference between having those guys in the field, because obviously Chico, Chico McClatcher and Andre Bacellia are, are what they are. They are undersized, you know, crossing route, middle of the field, speed guys, you know, they're, they're, where their quickness is their their main skill set. Um, and that's one thing. And then it's another thing to, on fourth and two, uh, have Andre Bocelli run a, a, a one-on-one ISO route against Paulson Adebo, Stanford's best player, uh, will probably be a first or second round draft pick uh, as a cornerback this, this coming May in the NFL draft. Um, we can talk about that whole sequence right there because that, that, that play I'm talking about is fourth and two from the 24. Uh, it's the first drive of the second half. You're down three. Backing up a play, it's third and six from the twenty-eight, and the the option is to run there with Richard Newton, which mm-hmm. I I just if if your whole first of all, there's a lot there. If the entire assumption yep. the whole time was we're gonna go for a touchdown, this is four down territory, we want to get ahead. Um, why not throw? Because you're just basically wasting a down by having to now complete two passes um, in a row, if or or have two successful plays in a row rather than just one um, with with passing there on third and six, especially yep. where you are on the field. Uh, there's that part of it. There's the okay, we did run, and now our next play is the slant to uh, Andre Bacellia against Paulson Adebo. That doesn't make much sense. Uh, and then there's the part of it of why are we going for this at all? If you go for it mm-hmm. on third and six and it's a pass play, it doesn't work out. Okay, you're on the 28. Um, according to football study halls, uh, should you kick or should you not chart? That is firmly in the kick it territory. Um, just as and and you're down three points. And I think that would be a great chance on that first drive to just kind of stabilize things. Instead, you needlessly go for it on fourth and two after you made it weirder for yourself anyways on that on that third down run with, with Richard Newton. 
that was just a really, really weird sequence. And I know Chris Peterson has a chart for this. This isn't just ad hoc of him saying, um, you know, that, that, that we're just going to go for it here because it feels like it. Because in the very last game, he said that uh, with the with with um, going forward on fourth down against USC, that they were firmly in a we need to go for it here territory, according to some sort of chart. I just can't imagine that the chart he's looking at is that much different from football study halls, which literally has looked up every single you know offensive sequence ever to to come up with with those type of determinations. Um, yeah, and this this goes back to what I said on the opening, which is. Bush Hamden being too aggressive when he needs to be conservative and too conservative when he needs to be aggressive. This is a perfect example. Third and six, running it, that's obviously too conservative. And then fourth and two, going for it, that's probably too aggressive. So he kind of shot himself in the foot on right, back-to-back right. plays there with those calls. Yeah, two half measures there. And then, and then like we said, the, the play call of the fourth and two, I got to imagine Andre Bocelli – uh, the slant route is is against a all a all conference corner that we've got something yeah. better than that. Uh, Adebo, not for nothing because of how he was schemed against, ends up with four passes defensed, um, including another key Which play. Is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. That means he was thrown at four times um, with with in close proximity to a receiver. Which I don't know. You talk about scheming. I think it's a pretty good idea to test everyone else in the football field other than him. Um, uh, he, he got one on Hunter Bryant on the same type of play. <sighs> I just, I, I, I struggle with the, like we said, there's, there's, there's so much here and this is probably our, our most scattered audio of, of, of the season <laughs> just because there's so much to be mad at and so much to be frustrated with. But I think it's just, a, it, it's, it needs to be con- more concise, um, with this team of what do we do well? Uh, stick to it and and not get too cute in this situation here. Um, I don't know. I, there's there's other stuff too. I mean, I was watching today with with um, Hugh Breedlove Millen, a, a just an absolute gem on on sports radio fame in in uh, the Seattle area. Uh, he had like a 50 minute video just breaking down all of the the things that went wrong, especially in the passing game or almost exclusively in the passing game. And a lot of what he was talking about was just the the like crispness of the routes being run by Hunter Bryant, uh, Aaron Fuller, Chico McClatcher, um, that a lot of the key plays that really broke down for the Huskies are, are down to details of Hunter Bryant. Basically, if you imagine that you're about to run an out route, you want to make it seem like you're not running an out route. And the very first steps he's taking are just these very short, choppy steps. Um, which signal to any good, well-coached defensive back that this player is about to cut um, rather than go past them. And so with Hunter Bryant, um, you take away a lot of his threat by just signaling to someone else um, that that uh, you're going to the outside rather than using the whole field like he's capable of. So just things like that, that's 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 a coaching thing, that's a, that's a being mentally dialed in thing, um, where there's like these macro things about play calling and style and scheme. Uh, but what Breedlove helps show is that there's a lot of the stuff that's just simple stuff. And I don't know if that's Junior Adams. I don't know if that's Hamden. I don't know if that's Peterson of who who is in charge of those details. Uh, but that's not great either to know that there's stuff like that that's just being missed. Yeah. I, um, I feel like we need to t- talk about some positives here just because this is kind of a state of the – State of the offense, so not just the game in gen- this past game in general, but yeah, I think I think you know from a running back standpoint, you got to be pretty happy with how the running back core has produced this season. Um, obviously, Richard Newton went down this past weekend with an injury, and it sounds like he's going to be out for an extended period of time. Um, but he's been become a trustworthy commodity, tied for the most rushing touchdowns in the conference at six. Akhmed entered last week averaging 99 rushing yards per game, which was the best in the conference at the time. So, I mean, with all the bad, I think there is some good to bring out of this season thus far from an offensive standpoint in that regard. I think Jacob Eason, uh, for the most part, has, you know, even though he struggled this past, or it it looked like on a sat sheet standpoint he struggled, I, I don't necessarily put a lot of that blame on him. I would be interested to hear what you think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he went 11 for 31 after his 5 for 5 uh, opening drive. Um, I personally attribute 
those 20 incompletions uh, more so at least, yeah, more so to the wide receivers and what we just talked about. And um, I don't know. Do you agree with that or what's your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's a lot of it is what we just talked about with the receivers not being able to get open due to little things and, and the, the drops, obviously those are direct, directly responsible, like things that they are responsible for when there's a ball to be, to be caught. It just doesn't happen whether it's Fuller or, or any other receivers who are, who are guilty of that. Um, but there's also, uh, there's two things with Eason. His response to pressure is not great. And we yep. saw last, last week for the first time him start to retreat, which is a very troubling thing for Husky fans. And a lot of trauma was brought up there when we start seeing a quarterback spin backwards. Um, mm-hmm. especially with, you know, with given, uh, the, uh, the other Jake problems that we've had the last couple of years. Uh, but Easton especially is not the type of, not even close to the same, you know, Jake, Jake Browning had trouble doing that and is a much more agile human than, than Jacob Easton is. So, um, that, a lot, that needs to be out of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That needs to be out of his, his kind of vocabulary. Um, his inability to step up in the pocket when yes. the pocket is mostly clean, um, and and what a lot would benefit him as a, as a as a quarterback, just his his arm strength, stepping into throws in the pocket, um, getting towards his offensive line, I think is something that has been exposed uh, with pressure in his face. Uh, PFF has him as a forty one point two passer passer rating when he's facing pressure. Um, he's normally at least a seventy type guy. Um, so it goes way down. Luckily, the, the UW offensive line is is uh, is quite good uh, to keep pressure out of his face. But then there's also this part schematically. I hated the amount of empty uh, that the Huskies were in against Stanford. Empty being no no running back in the backfield uh, because of Eason's problems or as a as a mobile player and because of his 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 uh, inability to to take pressure and because of as we talked about last week, or you know, I tried to tried to make the point. This offense looks the best and is the most potent when play action is involved. The second you go empty, you signal there's no play action. We're throwing. We can put pressure in this guy's face um, and and make him you know uncomfortable. Um, and we're not going to have any penalty in uh, coming at us because we know that there's no play action or no way that we're going to get burned uh, on the back end as long as we stay stay up clean up top. And so for a team like Stanford. I just feel like going empty was taking away all elements of deception that you have in the passing game, um, especially when the running game, I know that the, there's analytics Twitter isn't huge on the idea that you need to have a successful running game for play action. But um, but when you take Savon Ahmed and Richard Newton out of the backfield, it, that, I just don't know if that, if that, especially when you split them out, they start, they start with Eason and then they split out wide. I mean, it's not like you're throwing deep down the left or right sideline to, to Richard Newton or Savon Ahmed. That's not the play. It's just to get them out of there. Um, and that makes much more sense if your quarterback is Khalil Tate than it does if it's Jacob mm-hmm. Eason. Yeah. And by the way, half of the attempts are going at one of your wide receivers. So exactly. not only do they know it's a pass, they have a good idea that, oh, it's probably going to Aaron Fuller, at least on this, you know, this past weekend. So uh, that's an issue. Uh, we yeah. talked about this. If you go listen back to the podcast after the Cal game, we talked about literally this exact same thing and his, his ability not to seemingly not able to step up into the pocket and deliver a composed pass. Um yeah, it's it's all bad, and I yet to see him really do anything on the run other than that one crazy throw against BYU when he found uh, Richard Newton in the corner. So uh, yeah, he needs to he needs to recognize who he is. You know, he's six six, two thirty or whatever, and he's tall enough that he can step in that pocket and he needs to trust his line, who is a pretty highly regarded offensive line, to do their job and keep him uh, keep him clean. Yeah, definitely. Um, one last note for me, at least on the on the run game, um, Bush Hamden <laughs> had a quote middle of this week uh, when talk, when asked exactly about that. Why did the kind of the, the run game get abandoned late in that game? Uh, part of which I'm sure is due to the injury to Richard Newton. Uh, I don't have the exact time and uh, or minute and second that that happened, 
Um, but you still have Simone Ahmed, who, as you said, almost put up two bills against USC. Uh, but he said, quote, the reality is at the time when it was a two-score game, we felt we had to go and score and try to get the ball back, not knowing how long those guys were going to keep the ball the next drive. So he's saying that after Stanford scored or kicked the field goal with eight minutes left to go up 10 points, um, that they, they stopped, that they took the run game out. That is true. Every play after that was a pass. Uh, but before that, the previous 13 plays before uh, Stanford makes that a two-score game, um, five of those play, five of those 13 plays were run. So it's not like the run game was featured prominently in a game where, like we said at the top, uh, control was at a premium. And in that opportunity, you, or in that instance, you had an opportunity to, to kind of take things back, move the ball um, slowly but effectively while it was still a one-score game. Um, so that's that's unfortunate and. You know, it, it's kind of a too little, too late, uh, making these late, really late in-game adjustments when it just didn't seem like we were ready for Stanford's. We didn't have a great counterpunch um, for the way Stanford hit us in the mouth that game, uh, which is is uh, is troubling. And to add really quickly, it's not like we were running poorly. If you take out Easton's lost yardage due to sacks, we uh, running backs were averaging five and a half yards per carry, uh, most of which was pretty effective on early downs. I, I, I can hear Hatcher in my in my head right now at the bar yelling, we're getting a lot of yards on, <laughs> on first and second down carries like, yeah. all evening. He a lot of second that. and fives. And he wasn't wrong. Yeah. So I, I just don't understand why we why we uh, deserted it so quickly. Um, but, you know, lots of questions. Yeah, it, it definitely had this weird effect psychologically in that game where it felt like we should have been and, and were down more than just the, the seven points there. Even in my notes here, that despite how poorly it seems, and you know this is this is going to be a a a, a post post mortem or autopsy here um, of a podcast. But despite everything, um, you know UW has the ball with ten minutes left before the Jacob Eason interception. Uh, you know first and ten, down seven uh, with an opportunity to tie that game if they just can kind of keep control and keep composure and move the ball. Um, and then in that moment, you have three straight uh, incomplete passes or three straight passes from shotgun um, that end up or three straight. One of them was not from shotgun. It was a play action, but um, three straight passes ending in an Easton interception. It was just 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 uh, was not the, the poise that you would want to see in that moment from anybody on that field. Yeah, uh, I think the good way to put it is when you're losing and eventually lose to Stanford, it's like one of those dreams where you're trying to run from whatever your nightmare is about, but you can't run at all. Like you're running through mud. It's just even though you're down by seven, it feels like you're down by 21 or something just right. because they control the game so well and they know exactly what they want to do. Um, so, yeah, that's that's always been their, their kind of go-to, and it was on display perfectly this past weekend. Yeah, the David Shaw horror house um, that is that is the farm. <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly have nightmares of my experiences in that place. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, and I, even psychologically, too, I mean, knowing that you're supposed to beat a team by two touchdowns and you're only you're down a touchdown, like, it, it would feel, I can imagine it would feel even bigger, um, just the gravity of that moment of we have to do much more to get this done than we sure. really do. Um, because there was there was reason there wasn't reason to overreact in that moment. Um, if you if you're if everything's uh, you know playing with a little more confidence and and boys uh, there, but I don't know. I I think uh, what what do you, anything else for the offense? No, just a big <laughs> big barf emoji. Yeah, just a sound. I think is yeah. is necessary. One last thing, um, because it's time. Every once in a while, you gotta you gotta lay a Chris Peterson contradiction. Um, Chris Peterson uh, has a, has a phrase that he likes to use, and he likes to use it at Tony Castricone. I don't know why, but he he always says stats are okay. for stats are for losers. Um, yeah, <laughs> we've got a lot of stats. I think especially on the defensive side that we can give him. But uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna say stats are for losers, then don't have a when to kick chart. Uh, and if you are gonna have a when to kick chart, use it. Um, and I should have said that earlier when we were actually talking about the play, but the 13-10 uh, decision to go for it on fourth and two, uh, that whole sequence there. Uh, don't don't be stats are for losers guy if you are secretly using stats uh, to help you make decisions. Uh, and then 
also completely askew those because there's a reason that those are in place uh, and that's the same reason you have a chart you're just pretending to not not uh, not care about those things when it suits suits the point you're trying to make um, ask me how I really feel on that let's move to defense because <laughs> uh, it wasn't great oh, there yes. either <laughs> it, and a lot Perfect. of people might say it was it was even worse um, but I think when when Jacob Eason's your quarterback you just expect better in the passing game and it was just so bad on Saturday that uh, it kind of um, it kind of became the the thing here, but uh, expectations for this defense are not as high, and uh, this was their their worst outing by far. That first uh, the the three catches from Simi Fahoko in the first uh, three drives there for Stanford goes three catches for 91 yards and a touchdown. Uh, guess what, folks? His three catches were half of his career catches. Um, they first, first two uh, catches for him attacking Elijah Molden, who was a guy who looked like an all conference guy against USC. They didn't care. Uh, and then for his touchdown, Cam Williams, uh, didn't get over on a touchdown, um, on what looked to be a single high safety look. Uh, and as was, was pointed out by somebody on, on Twitter, I think it was Zach Williamson, um, saying, or Zach Whitman, sorry, uh, saying, boy, that's a lot of trust to put in a true freshman uh, in Cam Williams, but that same trust is not uh, not getting distributed on the other side to uh, to the receivers we talked about earlier. Yeah, and this is, you know, play the tape again because we've seen this a lot this season with Cam Williams. Um, this defense has always been about, uh, over the years, has always been about kind of eliminating the big play, and they've done a brilliant job at that. Um, this year there's been probably, it seems like a breakdown every game, even in blowouts, Mm -hmm. um, mostly at the hands, hands of Cam Williams. I don't want to say all of them have been, but the vast majority have, I mean, those are just growing pains that I assume will, you know, get ironed out as he gets more experience under his belt. But, you know, in close games like this, it really hurts you where in a BYU game, when you're up by 30 or whatever, it doesn't really matter. And, uh, yeah, Fahoko was wide open down the sideline, um, easy pitch and catch. Uh, that was, they went up 13, seven at that point and never, you know, never rescinded the lead again. So, yeah. And that, that particular play is, is an embodiment of a lot of the Huskies problems. A, you were relying on Kim Williams to, to make that play there. And he actually, I think kind of, uh, almost got benched, uh, not almost, he did get benched for a little bit. Yep. Brandon McKinney came in and played it, uh, a little bit for him afterwards. Uh, McKinney, who was last seen uh, getting destroyed by Paris Campbell in the Rose Bowl. Um, but anyways, Cam Williams is playing single high safety that on that and has to get all the way over uh, because on that play, Elijah Molden is running a corner blitz. Why are you running a corner blitz? Well, you are 96th in the nation in sacks per game, uh, Washington Huskies, at 1.6 a game. Uh, you were on 100th last year, but actually averaging more at 1.7 and this is kind of that same Taylor Rapp problem of last year of you have to use a guy like Taylor Rapp who's so effective on the back end uh and have to use him as almost a like a you know a a Terrell Suggs blitzing outside linebacker because you just don't have the guys that can get home on their own in that front seven yeah there was a six quarter uh drought of sacks between the USC game and the Stanford game. We had a sack in the first quarter of the USC game, and we had a sack in garbage time in, in uh, the fourth quarter of the Stanford game. So six straight quarters where we couldn't get a sack. This kind of harks back to just the defense, uh, not or the defensive line not getting enough push up front, and overall just kind of thin depth in that department. Um, players like Thule and Taki Taimani, who are huge people. Uh, you would assume could move some bodies in there. And then you have the likes of, you know, Benning and, and, uh, Ryan Bowman coming off the edge that have proven that they can get home, um, in past years, but they've had a lot better supporting cast, I believe than this year. And so that's a big concern. Um, and not only is it not getting home, it's the ability to not really put, uh, a clamp down on the run game, which has really hurt us in the past two weeks. USC had their way. We talked about it uh, previously, how, you know, they were able to run all over us over 200 rushing yards in that one, 189 given up to Stanford this week. Um, and that's a combination of both the defense, just not being able to, or the defensive line, not being able to um, 
stop them, but also linebackers not being able to get off blocks, linebackers not being able to uh, make tackles, yep. defensive ends slash linebackers, Buck not being able to hold the edge and have a player like Mills run around the edge who should never get out of the pocket and actually hurt you on the ground. Um, just just things like that that are maddening and um, things that we haven't been used to as Husky fans in the past years because you had playmakers in the middle like Keyshawn Bieria or Ben Burkirvin, players like that that could go side on the sideline and bring down a running back, um, you know, within three yards of the line of scrimmage almost on every play seemingly. So yeah. uh, that's something we're really missing in this defense this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and the, we had gotten so used to with this Husky defense, like, exactly like you're saying, of just a certain level of consistency, um, almost to a fault of the way that, you know, we've said it numerous times on this podcast, the way you would beat the old Husky defense is just nickel and dime them um, all the way and, and keep games close and, and, you know, get to a third and four type situation. Uh, because the schematically, the Huskies just kept everything in front of you, and because they weren't able to rush the passer, um, you could kind of just do that over and over all the way down the field uh, if you picked your spots correctly. Um, this year's team is it can be beat in different ways. You can beat them down the sidelines. Um, you can beat them up the middle because the linebacker play, uh, as we talked about last week, is nasty in the in the the other way, not the cool way. Uh, embodied no no better than uh, Brandon Wellington uh, gets to a, a fourth and two stuff. I forget what, where this is in the game. I think it's in the second quarter, actually. Uh, fourth and two stuff of Cameron Scarlett right at the line of, squ- line of scrimmage. Um, he's perfectly right there in the hole um, where Scarlett is. And then Scarlett takes Wellington the, the, for three yards uh, to uh, to get a first down. And that's, that's just inexcusable and a, and a problem because we've, we've been able to, you and I have been able to point out a lot of Wellington's mistakes. Uh, and here he is, um, still there because there's just no other option at that position. And I don't know if you want to get into this cause you're better at this than I am of knowing, uh, the missteps in recruiting, but there's been some names that, uh, it's a kind of a, can you imagine, uh, that there's a couple things that go differently in, in recruiting for the Huskies where, um, that's we're not relying on Brandon Wellington solely in that position. Yeah, I mean, no, nobody really comes to mind specifically um, when we're talking linebackers. It does. It's too bad that you lose uh, a player like DJ Beavers to medical yep. uh, medical retirement. A player that has been you know played in a lot of games for the Huskies, uh, played middle linebacker, definitely would have factored in. Um, who, is, who is the kid who went to Alabama instead of us? And then oh, Ale. Tahoe. Yeah. 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 Good call. Yeah. And then so there was the, and then one. I, I Camilo Eifler is a part of that discussion and he yeah, I don't transferred know to Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Um, yeah. And you know, what's kind of funny about this is, um, with the addition of Savelle Smalls in the upcoming class, who's Savelle Smalls is more of a buck, like a rush end. Um, we, re, we, we rescinded our scholarship offer to Jordan Banks, who one of, is one of the top-rated linebackers, um, plays middle linebacker, I believe, um, on the West Coast. So uh, someone who definitely seemed interested in the Huskies. We apparently didn't have enough room, uh, even though I think if he had committed before Smalls, and then obviously if Smalls had committed, we would have, you know, upheld Smalls's scholarship. So um, that's another potential miss. Uh, he looks like a beast. Banks does. So, um, yeah, too bad all around. There's a, there's a stat that our, our buddy Bill Connolly um, had created in his, his uh, conquest to uh, define college football by numbers um, called Havoc, Havoc. And Havoc is a simple number, and it's, the, it's a combined metric of a team's past defenses uh, tackles for loss and forced fumbles. Um, so no sacks in there, but just a general, um, you know, it's our favorite word. We got to say it once, uh, fuckiness for, for, uh, for a defense and just, just the ability. It helps a lot, uh, when you can have plays that end up in zero yards, like a pass defense, negative yards, like a tackle for loss or a turnover, uh, in this, in the, the false f- or the forced fumbles department. Um, those three numbers, UW 31st in pass defenses, not great. Uh, tackles for loss, 115th, yucky, 
uh, and then force fumbles 38th. So you're not good enough at any one of those spots, uh, not excelling at any one of them to, to create negative plays or zero plays, which means you're going to be on the field longer. And when you're on the field longer, uh, your youth is going to get exposed as a, as a result of it. And I think that's what we're seeing with this team. And, and uh, going off of that, you know, we would normally see those type of stats being in the top 30 in recent years um, just because of how good this defense is. And it was talked about in the offseason how Bush Hamden, his play calling was somewhat conservative. And it was due to the fact that that him and the rest of the coaching staff uh, knew that they had this defense that they could depend on mm-hmm. and how th- they talked about coming into the season. He couldn't really do that not necessarily because they didn't believe in the defense i think more so is just like that's a habit i should stop yeah because right. you know these are yeah and so first of all i don't think he's really stopped that like we've talked about earlier in this podcast but um secondly it's just you know we you would assume we we have gotten away with it for so long we're starting to see this come back to bite us i mean last week against or two weeks ago against usc you had a touchdown of the three touchdowns we scored. One was an 89 yard, you know, home run, which as great of a play that is, you can't necessarily depend on those plays happening every week. Um, another one of those touchdowns that we scored was a drive that started on the USC 35. I, it's probably unfair to take those two away, but if you take that drive and that touchdown away, I mean, there wasn't that much production on the offensive side of the ball. Um, outside of those and Mm -hmm. then you know we saw in stanford minimal production so this is something that in the last two weeks has been concerning obviously usc game we i think we got a little lucky um with a lot of things you know fumbling as we go into the end zone on the other touchdown or on the touchdown that pacelli scored you know we recovered that that's also pretty lucky too um so it's just it's coming back to haunt us now where in recent years we'd be able to depend on our defense to really, you know, clamp down and, and not really, um, you know, concede any any points or yards. Right, right. And and in the Huskies two losses this year, I mean, not, neither game uh, in, in either case, neither side of the ball played well enough to win. Obviously, the Cal game the offense was miserable. Uh, the running game was miserable in that one. Passing game hadn't quite been exposed to this level. Um, and then Stanford, we've, we've talked about it nauseum here. But um, in, in both those cases, the defense kind of had, had their moments to shine there and didn't. Cal, obviously, the big drive there once once Peyton Henry yep. uh, hit the field goal, um, letting them go all the way down the field. Um, and then in Stanford, just a, a com- repeated bludgeoning uh, at the hands of, of Cameron Scarlett, Davis, <laughs> Davis Mills, um, and uh, Simi, Simi Fohoko. Uh, and all of his six career catches. Um, yeah. I do want to. Uh, we have to end on a high note here. Uh, Levi on teams. <laughs> well, yeah, oh. that uh, <laughs> Levi on Wuzurike defensively. Uh, again, a guy that we've talked about. Of uh, you and I, our stupid brains cannot handle how good he is because a lot of what he's doing will not show up in in box scores. Um, yeah, and that's uh, what Pro Football Focus is for. They they shouted him out again. Uh, was on nice. their their first team all conference team for this week. Uh, Levi wow. three pressures up the gut, four stops, which is uh, at or I think a yard above the line of scrimmage uh, for a run for a run stop there. Uh, he was second in the nation in his his run defense run defense grade uh, this past week. So a guy who was um, doing his part. I know he had a personal foul penalty against him, um, but uh, uh, it's not his fault. Um, it's <laughs> plenty of other culprits here in this case. That that was. Not noticeable, noticeable at all for obvious reasons. So, uh, congrats to Levi. On yeah, that. yeah. If things are getting ugly, um, this is kind of the Greg Gaines rule. If things are getting ugly uh, for the Huskies defensively, and you just want to watch something go right, uh, watch number ninety-five up the middle. He's uh, he's doing his job. Um, nice. Yeah. I uh, I think we should talk about special teams really briefly. It is just because I I just want to you know like you said end on a high here. So Peyton Henry. Um, you know, Heisman leader potentially at this point. Uh, 11 for 11 on field goals. You mentioned that Cal field goal. That was a 49-yarder. Um, he now is tied for uh, second nationally in field goals made. Um, and him and George's 
uh, you you probably know this this guy Rodrigo Blankenship's mm-hmm. uh, the goggles kicker. Um, yes. They're the only two kickers that have made more than ten field goals with no misses. So um, that's something to be pretty happy about, given the woes that Henry saw last season. This is probably like the third or fourth week I've talked about Peyton Henry, so I think I should kick off the official Peyton Henry fan club right now. Um, so let me know if anybody wants to join. Uh, secondly. Uh, Castro Cohn included this on his Twitter account last week. Um, So this is a slightly outdated stats, but in 2018, punt returns, net punting, kick returns, field goal percentage, um, UW was all above 100 uh, from a team ranking standpoint. Uh, Punt returns, net punting, kick returns this year, at least up until through the USC game, were top 30. So huge strides have been made in special teams. It just seems like we've forgotten to focus on other areas. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's the old um, whack-a-mole thing of of you know I don't know how much time and attention was spent differently this this off season, but you get the one part figured out, and then by the time you do figure it <laughs> out, uh, you miss the window that you had offensively and defensively to yeah. have a have a complete team, uh, which is. Really too bad in the nature of college football that everybody's on a three or four year contract and you really don't have a, uh, a, a well contract is not a fair word given that there's no compensation for for the uh, the performance <laughs> there but um but uh, yeah this is this is kind of the problem of of you know you had junior senior quarterback Jake Browning um, or sophomore sophomore quarterback Jake Browning with guys like John Ross and Dante Pettis and and Will Disley and Drew Sample. Um, and, and Trey Adams and, and all these guys that, that we now know, Miles Gaskin, um, and it results in, you know, a couple of New Year's bowl New Year's six bowls and it just doesn't doesn't actually amount to anything and now here we are and we're spoiled and think that's what we're used to and uh, yeah. little little talent decrease and, and here's what we get instead. I guess uh, perspective is probably the key word uh, this week. Yeah. Is this realize is... where we are as a as a program, which is pretty dang awesome right now. That's why uh, it's a lifelong. It seems like it isn't. They've they've got us by ball and chain. Uh, we ain't we're not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> nope. But we got you got to suffer through stuff like this. And suffer is so relative. I should take that back because yes. I know suffering. It's uh, it rhymes with two thousand and eight. Um, so it's yeah. Can't... You could be a Rutgers fan or something. Yeah. Exactly. Well, having been there, I don't I don't want to do that. Yeah. Living um, in New Jersey and you're watching that football team. Talk a little bit about Arizona. Um, because the Huskies are playing them next, and they are 4-1, and one, kind of a hard team to read. They just won uh, in Boulder, beating ninth-year senior um, God, Steven Montez. Steven Montez, good God. Uh, Steven Montez, 35-30. <laughs> uh, Khalil Tate is healthy, playing well. Um, Arizona lost that opener to Hawaii uh, on the last second play with Khalil Tate, ending at the 1-1. Uh, Tate in the Colorado game uh, has 401 passing yards, which for a guy that you would primarily think of as a runner um, is is pretty incredible. He's doing quite well through the air this year. Uh, I do want to point out, though, that Colorado is abysmal there. They're 124th in the nation in pass defense, um, but uh, he is basically a walking 10-yard gain, uh, Tate. I think he's averaging like 8.4 yards per pass attempt and 9 yards per rush. Uh, so anytime Khalil Tate has the ball in his hands is 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 terrifying. Um, they're 11th in the turnover in turnover margin in the country, but that's weighted weighted heavily by the fact that they had seven interceptions in the first two games against Cole McDonald, uh, who had a farm, uh, and then also yep. uh, Northern Arizona University after that. Uh, seventh in the nation, third down conversions. This team moves the ball really well, um, and uh, based on what we just talked about, the Husky defense. I don't feel great at all about uh, an 8 p.m. Uh, or I guess I, I don't know if it'd be eight or nine in Tucson um, start start time in a place where the last time we were there, uh, a guy named Brandon Dawkins, who I'm pretty sure did nothing the rest of his college football career, basically morphed into Randall Cunningham uh, and blew the Husky defense <laughs> up, almost upsetting their their uh, their um, playoff season before it even got started. It's it's a spooky game. Yeah, the last game of the a night. I mean, it's Pac-12 after dark. Um, I don't like anything about this. <laughs> uh, going back to Khalil Tate, because he's going to be the one that if Arizona were to knock us off, he will be involved heavily. Uh, 
you mentioned 400, 400 plus yards passing last week. He didn't really factor into the run game, but he can. Two of the four games he's played, he's gone for over uh, over 100 yards rushing, averaging seven and a half or better in both of those games. Um, so it's basically like what mood he's in that day. Um, <laughs> he'll either beat you in the air or he'll beat you on the ground. Uh, it's just basically contain that needs to happen by the Husky defense. And I saw Kyler Manu crash on contain multiple times. Um, that might be a product of him not or him just assuming Mills wasn't going to run it. But what I can tell you is it needs to get better because that's been something that we haven't been very good at this year. And this is easily the best running quarterback that we have faced and possibly will face all season. So definitely something that we need to be keying on throughout this one. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of weird. I don't, I don't I can't remember a quarterback who required as much um, attention in the the spy department uh, that the Huskies have played in, in quite a long time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do to combat that because he's not a guy you can turn around against. Um, and so it's going to be really important to, like you said, keep contained. But then there's got to be someone. Uh, to deter him and force him outside, and I don't. I think if he if if they they see that that's Kyler Manu there, uh, that could be a long night because there's just a huge speed disadvantage there. So it's I think it's either going to be Wellington or Miles Bryant who's tasked with that. Um, but I mean there, there's costs with with dedicating a spy to to that. You lose some in pass rush, you lose some in protect and coverage. Um, so this is going to be a big big test for Husky defense that. Um, is is doing a lot of bending and breaking right now. Yeah, and on top of Tate, they also have players like, um, don't know his first name. Uh, oh, Gary Brightwell. There we go. Yeah. J.J. Taylor, Taylor uh, Darius Smith, who have all accumulated roughly 200 or more and are all averaging six or more per carry. Um, so they kind of will hit you with whoever is the flavor of the day. I think JJ Taylor's listed atop their depth chart, but he only got it, got one carry last week. Yeah. I think he left um, the, right. Left well, was the guy. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of a stable, uh, I don't know if it's the greatest stable of backs, but you know, um, it seems like they can all produce at least from an average yards per carry standpoint. And, uh, then you throw Tate on top of that. Um, and then I mentioned previously how UW has been burned by the run game in the last two weeks. So, yeah, this is something we need to be very aware of. Why does Gary Brightwell sound like the superintendent of Issaquah Public Schools? <laughs> I have no idea, but I could I could see I could see it. But uh, looking at his his player picture, definitely not someone who I would think would be the uh, <laughs> dreads and a big headband so that would be quite the uh, superintendent good thing he's not a penn state player did you hear about all that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, well we can talk about that yes. later there's a there's a dedicated segment to that that type of talk uh, that we will hit yeah. at the end of this podcast um yeah i'm scared as hell uh, i i this team is is maddening i'm talking about the huskies um, and i'm sure arizona fans aren't too far behind in that uh, that they were able to to come out so flat as they did against or hawaii basically run out of time in that game uh, and then beat Texas Tech, uh, UCLA, who knows with that that program. Uh, and then the Boulder win. I don't know if there's a lot to be gleaned from that because Texas Tech, I mean, Texas Tech just beat someone, oh, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean, th- th- this is all over the board. I, I, I have no feel for this game. Uh, six and a half point favorites the Huskies are heading into Tucson. Um, just make it out of there alive. I, the, <laughs> the covering means nothing uh, in a game like this. That's crazy to me. To I just would have never would have thought at this point we'd be only a six and a half point favorite against Arizona. Actually, I think it would be two touchdowns. It kind of feels high too. Like, I mean, with with how well, well Tate yeah, is playing. But, but at the beginning of the season, I'm saying, yeah, I just I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's the Pac-12. What do you expect? Nothing makes sense. Up is down. Uh, speaking of that. <laughs> Tiny little conference. Um, let's talk about the highlights of last week. And I got a text from uh, from our, our good friend Jordan Coots in the midst of a Oregon State their their the road win in the Rose Bowl beating UCLA uh, as Jake Luton is on damn. his yeah Jake Luton was on his way to five touchdowns. They're up twenty one nothing in that game. I got a text from Jordan Coots saying we want Bama, <laughs> so they were ready to go. Uh, they went forty eight thirty one in the Rose Bowl uh, after the heartbreaker against Stanford and a game that they they could have pulled out in the end defensively. Uh, still have the defensive issues, but that offense looks like it's rolling. I miss you, Jonathan Smith. Come back, 
please. Uh, Isaiah Hodgins, their receiver there, uh, is uh, is absolutely on fire. He is um, he's going to be playing on Sundays next just, year. Just imagine what you just said there. That's incredible. Come back, Jonathan Smith. Yeah, that we're at that point. I miss but I miss the I clapping. Don't disagree with you necessarily. <laughs> I miss the clapping. I miss the the creativity. I miss the double we'll allow passes. The clapping. Uh, seriously, God, those were those were happier days. Uh, Oregon wins over Cal despite a career day from Devin Modster, who goes seven, 17 to 34 for 190 yards, which is amazing uh, for him. <laughs> um, and then with uh, I, I, I'm this is I had a note here. And I was just kind of understanding what I was talking about. I probably wrote it at like two in the morning, but um, the the whole idea, and I'm sure you've you've played this. Um, any Husky fan has played this over the last few years of. We need this to happen. We need Oregon to win so that they can, so that you know the win looks yeah. better. We want Utah to win. Um, but, you know, we we don't want to what whatever. All of that is gone at this point. Embrace the chaos. Yep. Roll around in it like a pig in its own excrement in a in a <laughs> in a uh, just a petting zoo. It is Come uh, down in the sty with us. <laughs> it's it's gnarly. Um, just let things fall out here because the Pac-12 is going to be. All kinds of crazy over the next few weeks. Uh, starting this Friday night, we have Boulder at Oregon on Friday night. Steven Montez returns to the scene of his first crime when he beat Oregon in Eugene uh, as a freshman. Wazoo Nine goes to... Ago. Yeah, honestly. Uh, 2003. Uh, Wazoo goes <laughs> to Arizona State in a game that will definitely not be weird. Uh, there's only 50,000 possible outcomes for how that one could go. Uh, USC plays Notre Dame, which could be... I have no idea. USC could show up or it could be really yucky and, and validate Notre Dame weirdly for the rest of the year. And then Utah going to the dam. And I will see this, say this, that every program resurgence needs an unjustified field storming, which if Oregon State pulls it off against Utah, rush the field at Reser because you have every right to. Um, it's It's been a while and uh, the, the fans are, are are ready for it potato salad for all um i think the the weirdest thing about the wsu arizona state game um is that it's a 12 30 kickoff i know uh, i know i know that we're the late game and we're in arizona so it kind of makes sense but washington state at arizona state seems like a vintage pack 12 after dark and i just wish that was like a 11 p.m. Pacific kickoff or yeah, something. Honestly, yeah, honestly. Yeah, that game should be what it deserves. That game should be on at three in the morning. Everybody should be on promethazine. It should it should just be as <laughs> weird as possible. Uh, but instead, it's like a nice 1230 Brent, Brent Musburger, or Keith Jackson, like classic college football kickoff, of course. <laughs> uh, all right. So the, to the national scene last week was kind of boring from a national perspective. Michigan to beat Iowa in a really lame 10-3 game. Um, that's about it. Uh, I guess uh, Florida beats or Florida beat Auburn, um, a game that really could have gone either way. Uh, but this week, as you prognosticated a couple weeks ago, is a spicy. big one. Real spicy. Yeah, we're turning it up. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas at a 9 a.m. Pacific kickoff, which is just amazing. Big nude Saturday, uh, as it has been, Cotton Bowl. <laughs> has been dubbed for, for the Red River shootout. <laughs> we'll learn a lot about both teams in that game. Again, that has huge playoff implications. Texas is right back in it if they win. Oklahoma um, is in the driver's seat if they can pull that off. Penn State in Iowa. Did you know that these teams played in 2004 and the score was 6-4? to four? Did you know that? No, but that's one of the most beautiful things I've heard. Six to four. Oh my God. I would. Uh, A nice baseball score. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's not going to be too far off for this one. Neither team is great offensively. Uh, and then we have Florida LSU as the nightcap. Uh, have you ever seen King Kong, like the new one with Jack Black? And by new, I mean like 10 years old. No, I actually haven't. I, I don't watch very many movies, to be honest. We gotta work on that. Uh, anyways, yeah. uh, Joe Burrow. Well, in, in that movie, King Kong repeatedly okay. breaks the jaws of every dinosaur that comes at him, um, and people are way too glib in that movie about the fact that there's dinosaurs involved. Like it's just like, oh, there's the giant ape, but like dinosaurs exist. But anyways, he yeah, just continues to break sense. the jaws off of them. You know, if you can imagine grabbing one side of an alligator's jaws and, and the other side and just kind of opening yeah, your, yeah. opening your arms like a like a trap machine. Uh, I kind of expect Joe Burrow to do that um, to to Florida on Saturday. 
uh, as he is just going to continue his his torrid pace. But uh, he does kind of have to come back down to earth a little bit, and that Florida defense is really good. So who knows? Uh, but either way, three really good games. Yeah, that that late window, or I I guess you know five at four thirty, five o'clock for for us West Coasters is wonderful because you got USC Notre Dame. And you'll either see Notre Dame lose or USC lose, so it's a win-win. Then you obviously, like you mentioned, Penn State, Iowa, and then Florida, LSU. So it'll be a wonderful little, um, you know, appetizer before we get into the absolute, you know, unknown, which is (laughs) after dark and UW. Oh, and you got Utah, Oregon State at five o'clock too. So maybe there'll be some debauchery in Corvallis. Uh, for us to enjoy as well yeah yeah enter the void that is an 11 p.m kickoff time on the <laughs> east coast um probably means i uh, wake, wake up uh drooling uh halfway through the third yeah. quarter wondering what's going on um you know <laughs> you'd be uh, wondering that even if you're watching the whole thing true it's true yeah it'll get me acclimated um all right <laughs> to the great cat we go uh mine this week is the farm i hate that place uh my ex- yeah. my personal experiences there have been documented um but it just continues to be a source of of uh of just hell for for the husky program yeah i completely agree um to my great cat uh they just put husky offense and that's literally all i put so i'm sorry to our listeners for not contributing more on this, but uh, by the time I was done preparing for this and I was trying to name a great cat, I was pretty much done. <laughs> so uh, Husky offense definitely takes this one. Call it a day. Um, yeah, my uh, my other <laughs> my other great cat um, wasn't in my notes, but as we were talking about, I was thinking about it. Um, this note that was going around on Twitter this week of a, of a Penn State player, um, uh, Jonathan Sutherland, who got a, a, a letter sent to him from a fan um, that was just racist. That's all it was. Um, yeah. Basically asking uh, from the fan, asking him to uh, to cut his dreads and to not look like Florida State and Miami players, which is just doubling down and making it way worse. Uh, just so yucky. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, all of this coming and that tw- this is a great moment for Twitter to exist to allow uh, stupidity and hatred and ugliness to to come to uh, the public eye. So appreciate that. Yeah, and I and I thought James Franklin's uh, response to this was pretty solid. So if you're looking for that, that uh, you can find it on Twitter. But uh, he handled it pretty well. So hopefully we won't see stuff like that again. At least <laughs> on such a national scale, it seemingly. Boys, it'll always be on social media. Stan, what do I? I, I uh... I have a feeling you'll be disappointed because people people are awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's That's your uh, who's I, 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 I have nobody, nobody. No OKGs this week. No, I, I will go. I, I literally I literally put nobody, but <laughs> let's go with special teams. Yeah, uh, special teams were fantastic all Pey- seasons, at least so far. Peyton Henry for Heisman. That campaign uh, is an OKG. Yep. Our kind of our kind of official fan, fan club. Yeah, you meet at the forty-seven yard line uh, before games and paint each other's chests it's a little lonely but uh it's gonna get cold but you know traditions are traditions um see you there yeah uh my okg i went outside of the program on this one um the university of cincinnati social media team did you see their their accomplishments after they beat ucf fantastic I, i was i was blown away um it was one of those like you knew by by the time you had seen it the amount of retweets that what you're looking at is is a piece of gold, um, and so UCF was obviously uh, located in Orlando, which is the, the the site of Disney World and you know Disney's corporate headquarters. Or I think I don't even know if that's true, but lots of Disney stuff down in Orlando. So UCF is therefore associated with Disney, uh, and Cincinnati plays the Disney theme, as you can imagine it, the you know uh, castle by the river. Um, all of that, the, the, the music, movie intros, the movie intros. Yeah. You're about, you're about to watch, you know, Pocahontas and you, you see this get played. And then at the very end of it, instead of saying Walt Disney, it says, you hate to see it in, in the Disney font. Uh, I want to know if they had that ready and what they were going to do with that video if they didn't win. Um, but either way, they probably, just, they 
probably filed it where uh, our greatest pod of all time, the uh, unpublished <laughs> podcast, yes. is as well. Yes, it's in the nether regions of, of uh, just <laughs> dusty content. Um, they probably... You know what's the best part about this is is that it was against UCF and all those UCF fans are just like so easily triggered. So they're just raging down there in central Florida. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, the good news is is that UCF destroyed Stanford when they played them, so um, <laughs> that makes me feel uh, great. Uh, yeah. I think it was only fitting that we ended this podcast with a collective yeah. sigh. So, <laughs> Perfect. Yay. All right, man. Well, uh, cheers to Greener Pastures, and hopefully uh, yeah. we're back in the saddle and, and get a, a, a gutty road win. Um, but uh, if you, I'm not answering texts next week, it's because I'm, I've fled the country and I'm or maybe maybe I'll just be like, yeah, I'll meet you at the uh, Beavs game because I've I've gone that direction. Yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, at least at least they they kind of expect. I mean, this is going to sound terrible, but expect they to expect win, to lose. Oh <laughs> no, the old Sark They expect mantra. to lose, so they just kind of you know they can have a good old time and they don't have to worry about it. Yeah, lucky them. Yeah. Uh, all right, sir. <laughs> thanks for doing this. Uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll get them this week. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>